This is Tom Fox. Welcome to a special podcast series entitled Corporate Case Management in the Era of the DOJ's Monica Memo, sponsored by iSight Software Solutions. Over this five-part podcast series, I will be visiting with Jacob Fickner, Director of Partnership Development at iSight. In this series, we consider how the Monaco Doctrine and the Monaco Memo have impacted compliance in several key areas around investigations. In part one, we take up the Speak Up Culture. Part two, strategic triage. In part three, ethical investigations. In part four, the Fair Process Doctrine. And in part five, how data drives prevention. Over this series, we will not only detail the changes brought by the Monaco Memo, but how compliance professionals can respond to these new challenges. First, a word about eyesight. Uncover, investigate, and prevent incidents and misconduct. Eyesight is a powerful case management platform that streamlines your investigative processes so you can focus on prevention. Recording incidents, responding consistently, and collecting data means messy spreadsheets, information over multiple systems, and wasted time. Mishandling even one incident risks fines, lawsuits, and reputational damage. Reach out to eyesight.com for a demonstration to learn how you can streamline your investigations and starting investing in prevention. In this episode two, we consider the importance of triage your investigative protocol. This special five-part series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Jacob Victor, the Director of Partnership Development at iSight for our continued exploration. Today, we're going to take up the topic of triage and how that relates to the importance of strategic intake and assessment. Jacob, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Pleasure to be here again. Jacob, as hopefully our listeners from episode one will recall, Really, the impetus for the series was around a series of announcements that the Department of Justice made, starting last year with a speech by De- Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco. That led to a, a, the release of an announcement of a new doctrine in September and release of a new written document embodying that or detailing that announcement, that new doctrine, in the form of a memo. And one of the things clearly that the Department of Justice expects now is, I'm going to say, even enhanced cooperation during investigations. And by enhanced, I don't mean you have to throw more bodies at it. I don't mean you have to spend more money or create or bring additional resources, but it's speed and quality. And that really brought up for me the issue of triage, and why triage is so critical in not only a speak-up culture that we talked about in episode one, but also in the investigative process. This is before you get to boots on the ground or Zoom call on the ground investigation. This is when the intake comes in. So if I could maybe start with the basics, what in your opinion is triage? So for us, it Similar to triage within a hospital or healthcare environment, it's looking at 
the facts as they are laid in front of you and making a determination in terms of the severity, criticality, and next steps for managing the complaint based on the nature of the complaint and the information that you have at the time. So hopefully I won't give away too much about my age, but for me, I learned about triage from the television series MASH. And in every episode where there was a surgery or patients came in, there was triage and sometimes dramatic, sometimes routine. But what I learned from that experience of that television show was the criticality of triage. And as you said, the operating thing, and I still use that example. I think people still see that. And from the compliance and investigative world, Finally, now we're seeing not just the value in it, but almost now the mandatory nature of an effective triage. Would you find that to be a fair assessment? For sure. I would echo that sentiment wholeheartedly. We've seen time and time again that organizations have nailed the first step in terms of giving employees multiple different channels to support and be able to submit their concerns to the organization but fall on that second step in terms of, okay, now we've got it, what do we do? And that's where having a triage place or triage process in place really reduces the risk that organizations face of not handling a complaint properly right from the- Jacob, one of the things I try to counsel compliance professionals is don't try to make up a triage protocol in the middle of an emergency have something in place beforehand, have a process. How does eyesight counsel clients on that issue? It's exactly that. It's thinking of what we need to do when we receive a complaint or allegation based on the nature of the complaint or allegation, factoring elements such as the nature of it, the case type, the jurisdiction or region of the complaint, and ultimately the severity of the complaint. And using backend rules, the other key component is not just necessarily having a process in place, but having an enforcement or and a way to enforce that process. Because having a process is great, but if the DOJ sees that you're not consistently following that process, then it can actually hamper the risk mitigation factors to the organization. So that's where elements such as we know for this type of case when reported affecting a senior executive that already has previous cases associated to them it's a riskier case these are the steps we need to take these are the notifications that we need to trigger and these are the people that ultimately get the action items that need to be completed all those rules can be enforced using automation so that as soon as it comes in based on the nature of the information that we know, it's routed to the appropriate team or individual and the appropriate notifications are triggered. And those initial assessment steps that we know we need to take each and every time are factored into that process. Jacob, one of the reasons I've enjoyed working with iSight over the years is one of the themes I've heard from you guys is documentation. And the iSight tool or solutions really helps documentation. I didn't say it on the last podcast, but I always say the following. What are the three most important parts of any compliance program? Document, document, document. So I wanted to ask you from your perspective, why is the documentation 
of the steps you've taken so critical. And before you get there, I will just add, that's something that the Department of Justice or other regulators are going to look at. They want to know what your thought process. So perhaps your thoughts on how the ISET, excuse me, ISET tool helps a company put not simply a protocol in place, but also document what may be a mental process to how a issue was reported up the line. Yeah, if we look at it, an element that we have been preaching for years, or at least it feels like we've been preaching, is ultimately the system you put in place has to be audible and defensible. And ultimately, at the core of it, that's what eyesight provides, an application that enables you to be able to see how a complaint came in, when it came in, who was notified, and what steps were followed each and every time. And by having that audit trail in place that shows it went for triage, these are the steps that we take when we receive this type of allegation based on the nature of the allegation. And we see that it was actioned consistently. Those are things that ultimately our clients are looking for as they're mitigating factors when the DOJ looks at organizations is they have a process in place. They can clearly demonstrate that it's audible it is defensible and that it was followed in this situation. Does having that protocol in place also give a level of consistency so that if an intake comes in or a report comes in Singapore, London, Brazil, or the United States, that you have confidence that the compliance professional or other professional may look at it will have a consistent approach to follow? Exactly, especially with the complex nature of our clients operating in multiple different regions, jurisdictions, different laws subject based on where the complaint originated, where the complaint or violation occurred. You can factor those parameters into the actual assessment process so that you can uniquely tailor this is in Singapore. These are the steps that we need to follow to assess one of these complaints. If this is originating within the United States and the violation or alleged violation occurred in the United States, these are the steps that we take each and every time. And that's where having that type of flexibility to incorporate any number of permutations of a process and more importantly, be able to evolve them over time because we see through the DOJ and upcoming DOJ announcements, things change. And so it's also being able to rapidly evolve to these changes and having a flexible platform that can grow with your regulatory landscape. I love the phrase auditable and defensible because it's not simply regulators who look at this. If you have a process, that means your internal audit's going to come look at your process eventually, and you may have external auditors look at it for a variety of reasons, not legal violation, just as part of their routine duties. But that means that any group that looks at this, or even if a vendor or someone who wants to hire you as a vendor wants to look at your reporting program, you have something audible. Yes, you can anonymize the data, but if you can show that, that's going to give you a leg up in business or present to your internal auditors. Would that be also fair? That's exactly it, because regulators are just one stakeholder group that compliance is interacting with. And so ultimately, when you're looking at a process, having it audible and defensible is a benefit to multiple different stakeholder groups. The triage process, in my mind, has become more important because of the Department of Justice's focus on the speed 
and quality of your investigation. And I think we talked about the quality, but now I'd like to focus on the speed aspect. And I don't want to say people are literally running from office to office, but if you have a triage protocol utilizing a tech solution that iSight has available, could you give a few words about how that will enhance the quickness, the speed, the agility, or that part of what the DOJ says we want more and we want better now? Yeah. So when we implement a system, ultimately we're looking and it gives the client opportunity to review their process. And then iSight serves as a process automation tool. So in essence, when a complaint comes in, who gets assigned the activities, what needs to be completed with, within what timeframes are all enforced using business rules and workflow rules. And there's a ton of different examples of features that can be provided to ensure that ultimately nothing falls between the cracks and everything is resolved within a timely fashion. Because based on the nature of the case, you might be looping in stakeholders. This might not be their core focus and they get a notification. You need to complete review X by time Y and it might just fall through the cracks. So elements such as reinforcement through inactivity alerts or reminders that can be automated to keep a person accountable for completing the action within a timely phase have served as great tools to reduce the time associated with each one of the steps of the investigation. And ultimately, because it's captured within the application, it becomes reportable. So you're able to learn from a management and leadership perspective where your potential uh, roadblocks are, if there's any outlier cases in terms of uh, cases taking too long, a reviews taking too long, a follow-up or reports taking too long. You can see that information so you can action it sooner before it escalates in terms of the risk. I was just sitting here thinking, I think it was about eight years ago, I hand wrote what you just described as a protocol or triage. And I don't want to say it was revolutionary at the time, but people were like, oh, th this is how we do it. And I literally had to write the steps you had that you had to affect manually. And by having this process automated, I would see it would really exponentially increase not only the quality of your triage, but the speed. And that's what the Department of Justice has told us they want in an overall triage program if your company finds itself in an enforcement action. There's one last point I wanted to ask, which was if you have this information that reports have come in and you've triaged them, does that give a company some additional insight into perhaps other remedial steps they might take, such as we may need to deliver more additional training. We may need to look at our process, our business development process in some countries, or are there other insights that are beyond simply the individual report that comes in by utilizing this triage protocol from iSight? I think that a core driver and a key outcome of the system is the ability to ultimately learn from the data that you're co collecting across all of your various categories of cases. And that's why we always encourage, and what we see quite often with organizations that we deploy with is they might start with their ethics and compliance team, but once they see the value of the data that's ultimately gained, that's when they start incorporating other risk or compliance oriented functions into the applications like HR, employee relations, security, 
because you learn a lot from the initial input, the assessment, and most importantly, the outcome. Because any step you can attribute root causes, corrective actions, potential preventative actions, and the implementations of that. And by having that all captured within one program, one application, you're able to take all of your cases across the board and really see what's going on. So that's where when you bring up training, that's one that we see quite often and have numerous case studies around is that ultimately lack of training is a root cause for a lot of issues. And so we have organizations that take the shotgun approach of going out there, we got to train everybody. But where we've seen organizations shift is let's take a step back. There's so much training already that's enforced on our employees. Instead of that approach, what if we take a more sniper or precision approach where we see a team, a unit, a job function, where the root cause is seems to be lack of training more often than not, and let's target that training to them and then be able to use the subsequent data to see the effectiveness of the training. And that continuous improvement model can be built from Jacob, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode where we take up investigations, how to do this ethically for all parties and minimize errors. Before we leave, Jacob, I wanted to ask if our listeners wanted any additional information on the topics of this podcast, what would be the best place for them to go? I encourage everyone to visit our website, eyesight.com. And if you navigate down to the resource center, you'll find a wealth of free content in the terms of webinars, eBooks, and articles. Jacob, I wanted to thank you again. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Same here, Tom. Hope you will join us tomorrow for episode three, where we take a look at ethical investigations. As Jacob mentioned in the podcast, we have linked to the iSight website on the show notes, but it's www.i-site.com. So check them out if you'd like any more information on any of the topics we've touched upon in this podcast. This podcast series has been a special production of the Compliance Podcast Podcast. 